Hey, it's Seeking Plum. So in the last episode, we talked about gun violence and possible strategies. The conversation continued over the next several days. So in this episode, you're going to find a few more calls that continue that conversation. When we left off, you may remember that there were some developments, that students were planning walkouts across the nation. So we're going to dip back into that a little bit. You may also remember that we touched on the topics of economic security and health care with regards to mental health. So we dip into the topic of health care. And then we hear a few thoughts from across the pond in Ireland when we discuss how do we communicate with those in the elite portions of the NRA. And those are some of just the highlights. The next episode digs into mental health and much more. Hey, Ron, this is Jared. I uh, wanted to make a quick comment about the gun violence conversation. I agree with you that we do have to try to start with first steps um, and probably narrowly focus on the assault rifles and things of that nature. Um, the problem is people are happy with the incremental way that, you know, when the incremental way that things tend to change um, that are this complex. But I, I heard you mention in a sort of a breaking, you know, late developments that some protests, school protests are planned. Um, I don't think I would support a, a student walkout in Baltimore um, for a long extended period of time. So in Baltimore, there are six, we, we've been averaging six or seven homicides a week. Um, and there for the last couple years. And there's even a movement called Ceasefire where like literally the platform of this movement is like nobody kill each other this weekend. So we have these ceasefire weekends where they try to go 48 hours without a homicide. Um, when we went 10 days or 11 days recently, it was like national news. So here, school is a, the safest place for kids to be. Um, they're not the most effective schools. They're not the most inviting schools. There's metal detectors and armed police inside the school, etc. But um, there's already a huge problem with chronic absenteeism in the schools um, and disengagement and all, all of those things. So I, I do think that there are places where um, it will be expedient and politically effective for students to walk out. But I don't, I don't think that that would be uh, a great thing to happen here in Baltimore in the context of everything else that's going on. Hi, Jared. That is an excellent point, and I wish I had remembered it myself, is the need for a narrow focus on assault weapons. I will never understand how they became legal for anyone to own for any reason. 
I'm glad you brought up Baltimore. I knew it was bad, I just didn't realize how bad it was there. To hear the frequency and the number of lives lost almost seems foreign, and yet I know that it's very, very real. And maybe, to some extent, I have a skewed perspective because I have been moving back and forth between Canada and the U.S., where some of the places I've lived, we can go the first you know, month or two sometimes without having even one homicide. I realize to some extent this is comparing apples to oranges because the city in which I live in, the population is very, very different compared to Baltimore. But even in some of the larger places I've lived, it's the same kind of thing. I've always marveled at the low number of homicides here in Canada compared to the places I've lived in the U.S. But I think in living here more recently for a longer period of time and taking me out of the environment of the U.S., there is this change in perspective, perhaps, where I can read about it, I can see the faces, I can read about the numbers and all of these things that happen, but it is somewhat removed from my day-to-day -day experience. And when I leave the U.S. Uh, on holidays to return back to my Canadian home, there is this sense of relief and security, finding safety when I return back to Canada. So all of this becomes somewhat more something I read about, learn about, than something I'm actually living. But I, I get a bit emotional when I think about, about others living in circumstances like this, where there have to be movements like ceasefire or where there are celebrations of no homicides for 10 or 11 days, that this has become, you know, regular or the norm. It's so frustrating to me to hear and be reminded about schools with metal detectors, with a lack of supplies and low attendance because of one reason or another. And yet there are politicians or um, billionaires or corporations with so much money in their pockets and yet there are people who who are dying and there are school systems are suffering and like there are so many <laughs> anyway um yeah i can see why uh, a walkout may not be uh, an ideal solution or suggestion for places like Baltimore. Thank you for highlighting some of these things and bringing them to the forefront. And just thinking about what you sp said, you covered so many areas. Um, I think one of the things that I guess part of the root of the biggest problem we have on healthcare, we want one that covers all. We we deserve it as people. We're prosperous enough to do it. But there's too many powers in charge that will stop that from happening. Because if we all had to be equal in our health care, doesn't matter how severe you're hurt, that would give longevity to people. But at the same time, people are living longer in an aspect 
and dying sooner in an aspect. I mean, diabetes is the, what, number one disease growing across the nation? I don't know. It's a lot to think about, but I have more to say. Hey, Jason. Okay, let's focus in on healthcare. This is a big one. There are definitely a lot of obstacles and a lot of people or organizations, corporations that would stand in the way of something like universal health care. But I think there are also misrepresentations behind the idea or the phrase universal health care as well. I suspect you've been listening long enough that you know that I'm a dual citizen and I live in Canada right now. Before I moved here, I had some very skewed ideas of what healthcare, what Canadian healthcare was exactly and how it worked. Now, I don't claim to know all the ins and outs, but these are the things that I've picked up since living here. There is a base level of coverage. However, each province is different with respect to their financial situation. So one province I lived in wasn't very wealthy, and it required that each person living there paid a small amount quarterly uh, in order to cover for a bit of the, I guess you could call it a premium. But compared to U.S. premiums, this is like minuscule, so little. In another province that I lived in, there was no cost at all for this basic level of coverage. Now, it does not include things like eye care, dental, you know, prescriptions, things like that. You can personally pay for added coverage or you can get that through your employer. So if there's anyone who would look at the idea of universal health care and say they're concerned about the idea of, quote, equality and coverage, then, then they can look at this possibility of tiers, right? There is a basic level of coverage, but you can add on to it. With respect to implementing such a system and the influx of new patients, I think anything like this, when you implement a new system, is going to have big obstacles or big hiccups when it first happens. But once it is hits its flow, right? It hits its regular uh, ebb and flow of how things are going to run, then you're not going to have this huge influx of, quote, sick people. You're going to have more preventative care, which is cheaper. And if the entire population is working on that premise, then healthcare as a whole becomes cheaper. But because of the current system, it needs another an overhaul in this area as well. There is so much additional unnecessary money going into the pockets of people who do uh, health care insurance, uh, people who do pharmaceuticals, uh, like, like every area regarding health care, right? And I would almost dare say those who also cover things like life insurance and and after, you know, like funeral services and, and things like that, like all of this. And to try to siphon some of that back so that everybody could get some level of health care and so that some costs could come back into the realm of, of where they should be rather than the exaggerated costs that they are at currently is going to be very difficult to wrestle that money out of the hands that it currently lies in. 
to some extent, I think it comes down to reminding politicians who they work for, because big money continues to funnel their dollars into the pockets of politicians in order to get what they want. And at this point, I think that means we have to become creative in how we learn to communicate to politicians if we want major change. The standard methods of communicating with our leadership on Capitol Hill is not working. Hasn't worked for quite some time now. You pointed this out as well. But money, money seems to be a driving force. And although individually we don't have much of it, together we are a force to be reckoned with. Seeking Plum, in relation to the National Rifle Association and your views on it and your strategy, I'm, I hope that you're able to discuss these um, ideas with other people in the United States, I, other people in your local community, other voters, whatever. I, I I, I, of course, uh, hope that that um, things will change in the United States, but I have zero um, expectation they will. And when I discovered that one third of the citizens in the United States, one third of the voters, rather, possess a, a gun, I, uh, <laughs> I abandoned my last hope of anything happening in my lifetime. I have a horrible thought in relation to what might the evil thought I've had, which I'm not proud of, goes a little bit like this. Perhaps it would have a big impact or a big influence on NRA policy. Um, I hesitate before even mentioning this, but okay, what if, and this is a what if, what if a uh, a school, for example, containing um, the children, or a series of schools containing the children of the most influential people in the NRA, experience the same thing as happened in Florida, so that members of the senior executive in the NRA had to ask themselves the question, what do they think about disarming citizens, which is my phrase. Yeah, I don't know why that is, Paul, that sometimes we have to actually experience uh, something in order to get the full impact of, of what our decisions or our point of view, you know, actually means for others. I've heard many say that they don't agree with universal health care, but when they are struck with a chronic illness or some sort of a condition that is going to stay with them for an extended period of time and they're faced with being unable to pay the bills, then suddenly they can understand why universal health care might be something to be considered. I also remember after the Vegas shooting there were several individuals who were part of the concert 
who said that they had weapons on them or weapons in their trailers that they couldn't touch because of the situation and that the cops might mistake them for being the, the enemy, for lack of a better word. So there couldn't be a good guy with a gun. They faced different emotions than they had experienced before, and it changed their points of view when they were sending messages home that they thought would be their final messages. Obviously, we wouldn't wish any of these things on anyone, but I think it's difficult sometimes to communicate with others who who cannot see a different point of view or a different perspective until they're faced with the actual issue themselves. And I'm saying they, but as the words come out of my mouth, I'm thinking that there must have been a point, there, there probably has been, probably will be points where I am that person too. At some point over some issue, 